We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses has been giving his goodbye speech to the nation of Israel just before they begin their journey of conquering the Promised Land. God reminds them through Moses that they were to love God supremely and to obey His word once they were in the land of promise. After several speeches, God has been giving out a list of blessings and curses that are associated with His covenant to Israel. We continue to see the curses with Pastor Will as listed out in Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning at verse 26. Nation after nation would invade Israel. They would see them as a weak target, an easy target, offering no resistance because why? They never had a superior military. They never had superior skilled soldiers. They never had lots of chariots, so they didn't have better technology. They were always only stronger than their enemies because God was fighting for them. And so what will happen? Their enemies will see, hey, God's not fighting for them anymore. And they'll see them as easy pickings. And again, like I said, we see it all throughout the book of Judges. And as a result, verse 26, your carcass, it'll be food unto all the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth, and no man shall scare them away. There won't be anybody to scare those birds away from dishonoring those bodies. In the Middle East, it's a shameful disgrace for a body to be unburied. Even a criminal, they would still want to give them a decent burial. It was considered one of the highest dishonors to not bury the body, just to leave it exposed like that. That's why Paul was such an insult when they took him out inside the city to stone him, and they left him there for dead. I mean, it wasn't just that they stoned him. They left him there for dead and basically told the Christians that were there, we're not going to let you get the body. So what happens? Paul gets up. Everybody thinks he's dead. Paul gets up, brushes himself off, goes back into town, preaches the gospel. But that was a great dishonor, not just in seeking to kill him, but I think he died. That's me personally, but we don't need to go into that tonight. But it was a shameful disgrace in the Middle East to do that to someone. The Lord says, not only will I let your enemies kill you, but, but you'll be disgraced by no burial. So through invasion. God will also bring this cursed condition about through physical discomfort. He says in verse 27, the Lord will smite you with the botch of Egypt. I don't know what that is, but it sounds awful. Like I never want to be told, sir, Mr. Ramirez, you've got the botch of Egypt, you know? Like I never want to hear those words, all right? Because it sounds awful. It seems to imply skin sores. And it may even be the very ones that God plagued Egypt with. Remember the boils that God gave Egypt through the plagues? Sounds very painful. Next it says with the emeralds, which is just a fancy word word for hemorrhoids. And with the scab, again, these don't sound good. The scab does not sound good. I don't want the scab. It's a skin disorder of some kind. And then the itch. Again, you don't want to go to the doctor and go and they say, Mr. Ramirez, you have the itch. I mean, you just don't want to hear that, all right? We read these things and we don't understand what some of these things are. We know they're bad because people read them and go, the itch, I've had the itch for years. I'm good. Whatever it is, it's definitely bad. It's a skin rash of some kind. And the idea here is it says, whereof you cannot be healed. In other words, there's no medicinal techniques that can fix this stuff. You're going to be in physical discomfort and nobody can help you out. No doctor can help you. Nobody can help you. And then it says here, not only will God bring this cursed condition through invasion, through physical discomfort and all the other things, but through mental illness. Verse 28, the Lord shall smite you with madness. This is an irrational
irrational state of mind that it causes panic. You're going to be in this panic state all the time. He says, and blindness and astonishment of heart means to be so stunned that, again, you're confused and you experience panic. So it means to be like a dementia or a disorientation of some sort. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind gropes in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and spoiled evermore. You'll only be mistreated. And if you're mistreated all the time, that takes an emotional toll on you, doesn't it? They call it PTSD for a reason. Because when you've gone through trauma like that, over and over again, or mistreatment over and over again, it has an effect on you. Sadly, someone will finally come forward and tell me, my husband's been abusing me. And the things that they will say are things that other people don't say. And I remember I had one person in front of me and and they were in an abuse situation in their marriage. And and they said, you know, I know I shouldn't have said it. You know, I know I'd probably deserve what I got. And I said, hold on, hold on. We'll get into what happened in a minute, but that's the language that I don't want to hear you say again. You have somehow learned to cope with this by, you know, something's broken inside your heart. Something's broken inside you emotionally that you've actually believed that you could ever deserve being physically abused. No one ever, ever deserves to be physically abused like that. No one. So the idea here is you'll be mistreated in a way that takes a toll on you. You'll be spoiled evermore. It means stolen from all day long. And no one will rescue you. You shall betroth a wife and another man will lie with her. You shall build a house and you shall not dwell therein. You shall plant a vineyard you won't gather the grapes thereof. Your ox shall be slain right before your eyes, but you won't eat any of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before your face and shall not be restored to you. Serious trauma. Your sheep shall be given unto your enemies and you shall have none to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given unto another people people and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long and there shall be no might in your hand. In other words, to get them back. The fruit of your land and all your labor shall a nation which you know not eat up in contrast to being the lender. They'll be the borrower and you shall be only oppressed and crushed always so that you shall be mad. Again, it means to think irrationally, to not be in the right state of mind. You will experience emotional distress, be in mental illness for the sight of your eyes, which you shall see. I want to pause for a minute because we need to be careful. God's not saying here that any form of mental illness is judgment from him. That's not what he's saying here. In this particular instance, though, with his nation, he would do this. He would allow this to be. All of that said, if you struggle with mental illness, you don't need to tie it to a specific sin or you don't need to look at it as God's judgment. I want to make that clear delineation. But having said what we said about Israel and having what I said about us now, It is interesting to me that as the culture gets worse and worse, that we see mental illness on the rise. It is interesting to me. I do believe that a culture that will reject the truths of God, you're going to have things that break inside people. They see a world that isn't operating as it's supposed to be. And it's hard after you see that day in and day out, day in and day out, for something not to break inside of you. You know, we do see this and we see a culture that rejects God and is going their own way. It should not surprise us that we see mental illness on the rise. Now, if you struggle with mental illness, I want to give you great encouragement. God can bring wholeness and healing to you. I battled depression for a long time. And, you know, some people just say that and they say they're down and I get that. But I have no doubt that I would probably be on medication right now if I, you know, went to the doctors and they would deal with me and stuff because of what I say I've struggled with or the thoughts that I've had. I never thought I would ever get out of that tar pit. I never thought I'd escape from, from the struggles that I had. But the Lord, you know, has helped me to renew my mind. The Lord has healed me of that. And I have to be very careful that I don't go back down that road. But I want to encourage you. I've helped other people find freedom from that too as we've gone through the word and we've renewed our minds and talked about how the Lord can heal us. I want to encourage you, if you're battling those things, the Lord can heal you. 
If there are things that are broken inside you, things that, you know, just because of what you've gone through, that you had to find a way to cope with it, or maybe you didn't deal with it the right way, or maybe, maybe life was hard. Things are broken inside you. The Lord, he is the great physician, and he can heal those things. So don't lose hope. Don't think that you're stuck. Don't think that that tar pit is going to pull you down. Don't feel like that quicksand. There's no escape, because the Lord, he's always offering his hand. And even though it may feel like you're still in the quicksand, he's not going to let you go, just like he wouldn't let Peter sink. The other way that God would bring about this cursed state is through removal from the land eventually. Verse 35. And the Lord shall smite you in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of your foot under the top of your head. The phrase here, the idea of rendering someone unable to fight back. As a result, the Lord will bring you, verse 36, and your king, which you shall set over you, unto a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there shall you serve other gods, wood and stone, and you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations whither the Lord shall lead you. You know, Israel's enemies up to this point had been Egypt. Egypt, the Amalekites, the Moabites, and of course the Canaanites will be very soon their enemies. Those won't be their main enemies when they get into the land. The main enemies they're going to have problems with are going to be people like the Syrians, people like the Ammonites, other groups that they hadn't fought before. The Ethiopians that come out of nowhere with an army up north that are going to attack when King Asa's there. The idea here is these other nations will grow powerful later on and become their chief enemies. And if they disobey the Lord, the Lord says, I'm going to make it so you can't even fight them back. Even if you had a bigger military. I'm going to make it so you can't fight them. So the Lord will bring you and the king which he shall set over you unto a nation which you've never known. And guess what? When you're serving them, when you're their slaves, he says you will serve other gods, the gods of wood and gods of stone. You know, they're going to get into this mess from giving their devotion to false gods instead of the Lord. And so their judgment will culminate in serving those false gods of wood and stone. They can't see, they can't hear, and they can't help. It's funny, the Lord, I mean, it's sad funny, but the Lord will say through Jeremiah and through Ezekiel, you know, other prophets say, don't cry out to me, go cry to your gods and see if they'll help you. But of course, they're not real, so they don't hear. I've always wondered why, when Israel has experienced so much of the hand of God upon their life, why would they ever turn to idols who they know aren't real? Well, the thing is, is they're not like having this rational conversation in mind going, you know, I'd really like to worship Mammon. I think I'd like to give him a try. Mammon sounds like he's a pretty good guy. Or Baal. Baal, I mean, he's pretty pop. He's the big God everywhere. I mean, they've got Baal this and Baal that. Let's try our own Baal. No, that's not how it worked out. See, they saw things that took place in the worship of these gods, whether it was their sexual rights or their drinking rights or whatever it might be that they did. And so they weren't enticed because they thought, oh, Mammon sounds like a good god to follow, or I like Baal, or I like Ashtoreth, or any of those things. They'd be drawn away by the activities that would go on in the worship of those gods. It's the same way for us. We don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I really think I'd like to give sexual addiction a try. I really think I'd like to give drug addiction a try. I really think I'd like to mess up my marriage. We don't do that, but we're drawn away by our lust. We're drawn away to give our lives to things and to dedicate our lives to things because we're seeking the pleasures that come with those things. Israel, when they would seek that, basically they were saying, you know, God, you're kind of cool, but, but this is better. I'd rather try this kind of life. As the Lord says, okay, you want that kind of life? See if they help you when things are bad. And so they'll go into other nations where these gods who can't help them one bit will be the ones they serve. And as a result, they're going to become the butt of people's jokes. That's what they'll be. He says, you shall become an astonishment. Here it means something horrifying to look at. People will see what God did, how he judged his own people, and they'll go, oh, man, don't do that. You become a proverb. It means when your kids are doing something wrong, you say, do you see Israel? See what happened to them? Don't be like that. Basically, a proverb is a statement, a witty statement or a wisdom that you would use to instruct someone. And you'll become a byword. It means an insult or a taunt or something scornful, you'd say. 
Sadly, this has happened to the church when we've compromised with sin or we've replaced God's word with our ideas all throughout history. The world will hate us because of Jesus. It hates the Lord, doesn't want to do what he wants it to do. But let's not bring about the world's hate because of our character. Let's not do that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, the Lord says, if any man should suffer as a Christian, well, then let him dedicate his, himself to the Lord. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, this is 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16, if you want to look it up later. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, then happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters, or as a nasty person on Facebook is another translation of that. I'm pretty sure. Yet, if any man suffers a Christian, then let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God for this. If you're suffering because you're a Christian, then you know what? Glorify God. That's what they've done to the Lord. But don't be evil spoken of because you've done evil. When they go into captivity like that, where's that going to leave the land for those who don't go into captivity, who are left behind? It's going to leave it in bad shape. Look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 38. He says, you shall carry much seed out into the field and you shall gather but little in for the locusts shall eat it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes because the worms will eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your coasts, all your borders, but you will not anoint yourself with the oil because the tree will cast its fruit and the fruit will fall before it's ripe. You shall beget sons and daughters, but you shall not enjoy them for they shall go into captivity. They'll come back and get them because they need their strong backs to do the work. All your trees and the fruit of your land shall the locust consume. And a stranger that is within you shall get up above you very high and you shall come down very low. Remember the blessings? You'd be the head, not the tail. Well, now it's turned around. He shall lend to you and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Moreover, verse 45, all these curses shall come upon you and they will pursue and overtake you till you be destroyed. And why is all this true? Why did all this happen? Because you did not hearken to the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you this day. I'll keep reading. And they shall be upon you, these curses, for a sign, like a banner. There'll be like a big banner over you that says, don't do this. This is what happens when you disobey the Lord. They'll be for like a wonder, a miracle upon you and your seed forever. It is because we're going to study all that Israel did and how God judged them as we go through the rest of the Old Testament. Because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness, with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things, all the wonderful things he did for you. David, I believe, referenced this verse in Psalm 60, verses 1 through 4. See, before David became king, Israel was being wasted under Saul. Things were going downhill. But God restored the nation when David led them righteously. David knew God's word. The more I read the Psalms, the more I'm convinced this was a man who studied God's word. And he sought to live it out, even though he failed sometimes, and sometimes miserably. But here in 60, verses 1 through 4, he describes the condition that Israel was in under Saul. He says, oh God, you have cast us off. You've scattered us. You've been displeased. So turn yourself to us again. For you have made the earth to tremble. You've broken it. Heal the breaches thereof for it shakes. You have showed your people hard things. You've made us to drink the wine of astonishment and you have given a banner to them that fear you that it may be displayed because of the truth. You have placed this sign over them that says, we blew it so that those that fear you will see that and stand in the truth and say no more. And so that's what David did. And the rest of the psalm talks about how the Lord turned things around when, when they started making better decisions under David. I need to know God's word and I need to live it out. But again, not to get saved or stay saved, but just to do it because I'm so thankful for what God's done for me. To do it with joy, to do it with gladness of heart because of how good he's been to me, because of the great salvation he has accomplished for me. 
Yeah. If Israel doesn't love God supremely and obey his commands, all of these things will happen to them. But if they persist in that judgment towards God, because we'll see in Judges where they do this in cycles, all this will happen up to this verse. And they'll go in cycles and they'll go in cycles and they'll repent and come back. But it'll get a little bit worse every time. The repentance won't be as complete. And so what that eventually will bring us to is the ultimate judgment that God will bring, that no one will be left in the land, that the entire nation will go into captivity and the process will be horrifying. And to be honest, I'm just going to read through this because it's it's pretty rough reading. In verse 48, he says, Therefore, shall you serve your enemies which the Lord shall send against you? You'll be in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want, lacking all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. For the Lord shall bring a nation against you from far, from the end of the earth. They'll be swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you don't understand. Isaiah would speak of that way concerning Babylon, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. Babylon did not do that. They did not not spare anyone. He shall eat the fruit of your cattle, the fruit of your land until you be destroyed, which also shall not leave you either corn. We read in the book of Judges how they would still leave food for the Israelites. They just wouldn't let them have weapons. Not when Babylon comes. They're going to waste them completely. They'll leave you neither corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of your kind, or the flocks of your sheep. They're going to take everything until he has destroyed you. And he shall besiege you in all your gates until your high and fenced walls come down. You don't have high and fenced walls unless you're in prosperity. It wasn't in difficulty that Israel abandoned the Lord. It was in good times that they abandoned him. And you know, that's a good reminder to us to not neglect our relationship with God when things are going well. That's the time we're most vulnerable. And he shall besiege you in all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall end up, because you're besieged, eating the fruit of your own body. You'll end up eating your own kids. The flesh of your sons and your daughters which the Lord your God has given you. In the siege and in the straightness, the distressing conditions wherewith your enemies shall distress you. So much so that a man that is tender among you, a man who would never harm anybody, his eye shall be evil toward his brother. He'll be thinking he'll be a good snack. Toward the wife of his bosom, toward the remnant of his children which he shall leave, so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he has nothing left him in the siege, and in the straightness wherewith your enemies shall distress you in all your gates. Not only that, but the tender and delicate woman among you, the woman who's pampered, he says, who won't even adventure outside to set her soul of her foot upon the ground because she's so delicate and tender. Her eye shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom, and toward her son, and toward her daughter, and toward her young one that comes out from beneath her feet, and toward her children, which she shall bear. For she shall eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness, wherewith your enemies shall distress you in your gates. Sadly, cannibalism has happened in starvation situations throughout history, and God certainly is not for this. He doesn't want this for his nation. He's simply saying that their judgment will be so horrid and their refusal to repent in that judgment will be so stubborn that they'd rather cannibalize to survive than turn back to the Lord. That's what he's saying. Can you think of a more horrible place to be spiritually than that? Modern Jewish scholars dismiss this language here as figurative or exaggeration because they say the Jewish people would never do that. But Jeremiah and Ezekiel said it happened in the siege of Jerusalem. Josephus said it happened in the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD before the Romans destroyed it. And again, this is horrible, but it all has to do with Israel's rebellion against God. They choose this by not loving God supremely. And so verse 58, we see how this could happen to a nation that was loved so much by God, so blessed by God. He says, if you will not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and fearful name. And what is it? Jehovah, your God, the one who becomes to his people what they need him to be. What's your need? What are you longing for? The Lord says, I will meet that need. You're lonely. I'll meet that need. You're, you're struggling. You're worried. I'll meet that need. 
You have an actual physical need. I'll meet that need. I'll be with you. But if you turn to other gods, then this is what will happen. This is what will happen. You know, the Lord's name, his reputation, his character, it's glorious. Something to be highly valued. King James says his name is fearful, but it actually should be translated as awesome. We learn about God's value and awesomeness from his word. So when we understand how awesome God is, it stirs us up to love him and to obey him. So when we're not in the word, when I don't make it important, I don't listen to it, I begin to forget how awesome God is as I go through life. And then my love for what he loves grows cold. My desire to obey him grows cold. And so if Israel lets that happen, then all these things will come upon them, all these curses. For the Lord says, then the Lord will make your plagues wonderful. It means extraordinary. In other words, surpassing the norm. Listen, everyone goes through trouble at times. We live in a fallen world. But this would be supernatural trouble beyond life's regular trials. And even after captivity, things won't get better. They'll get worse. It says in verse 59, then the Lord will make your plagues wonderful. The word plagues there doesn't mean like actual plagues. It just means every time he hits you, every time he judges you, it's going to be surpassing what just normal trouble in life is. And the plagues of your seed, even great plague, they'll be of long continuance and sore sickness and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt, which you were afraid of, and they shall cleave unto you. All those plagues that God brought upon Egypt, he'll judge you with them. Also, every sickness and every plague, even that I don't write here in the book of this law. God will throw those upon you too until you be destroyed. And so the result, after all this is done, you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, where will that leave the people when all the judgment's done? Verse 63. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord had rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked up from off the land where you go to possess it. And the Lord will scatter you from among all people, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other. And there you shall serve other gods, neither you nor your fathers have known, even wood and stone. This began when Babylon conquered Judah, and it was finalized in the Roman diaspora, which began a 1900-year exile of the Jewish people from the promised land. And wherever they went, things were rough. Verse 65. And among these nations, you will find no ease. You'll find no place to call home. Neither shall the soul of your foot have rest. But the Lord shall give you there a trembling heart and a failing of eyes and a sorrow of mind. And your life shall hang in doubt in front of you. You shall fear day and night and you shall have none assurance of your life. In the morning, you shall say, oh, would God, it was the evening. In the evening, you shall say, oh, would to God, it was the morning. For the fear of your heart wherewith you shall fear and for the sight of your eyes which you shall see. And in the end, the Lord will bring them right back to where they were, bondage. The Lord shall bring you into Egypt again with ships. By the way, whereof he spoke to you, that you should never see it again. He says, if you disobey me and you persist in it, you'll go right back to slavery. And there you shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwoman. But it'll be even worse because no one shall even buy you. You won't even have the life of a slave. Despite much prosperity through history, simply because they were God's people, Jewish people have never found a homeland. Anti-Semitism always would crop up wherever they began to find some sense of home, some sense of rest. We see it through history. It's interesting when it says no man would buy you. Slaves were considered at least property. Here, if no one would buy you even as a slave, you'd be considered an animal. You'd be considered less than human. And what's very interesting is in Nazi Germany, Jews were called untermensch. You know what that means? Subhuman. Subhuman. Now, I need to point out, none of that was okay with God. Like, we, we can't look at this and say, oh, wow, that, that happened. Like, it happened in history, just like God says here. Yeah, it happened. God wasn't cool with it. We can't say, oh, yeah, God was using the wonderful Nazis to judge his people. No, that, that's not what I'm saying here. You need to understand what I'm not saying. 
God was judging his people for their disobedience, but God also hates it when the instruments of his discipline go beyond the bounds he set. Read Isaiah 47 when you get a chance because it's God's pronouncement of judgment on Babylon. There's one verse there I want to read to you from 47.6 where the Lord tells Babylon what he thinks about what they did. He says, I was wroth with my people. I have polluted my inheritance because I was angry with my, because I dealt with their sin. But you, I used you to do that and you showed them no mercy. Upon the ancient, you have very, very heavily laid your yoke. Just like God said they would in Deuteronomy. Doesn't mean God was for it. And so because of that, if you read through the whole chapter, God says, I'm going to judge you. Because even though I called you to be the instrument of judgment upon my people, you showed no mercy to them. And that I did not call you to do. Anti-Semitism, the persecution of any people, has no place in the life of a Christian. We are to love all people because all people are loved by God. Period. No further explanation needed. Not a fun chapter. It's a little depressing. The reality is none of it needs to happen, needed to happen to them. Just as no one needs to go to hell. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to, re- to repentance. So in closing, rather than be depressed, let's love God supremely, right? Let's shine as bright lights to others. Let's share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's choose life. Amen? Well, then let's stand. Lord, we thank you for your word, even though it was a heavy word tonight. And Lord, it was rough reading through some of that stuff. It's, it's hard to read about your judgment, Lord, because we don't fully understand just how holy you are. And Lord, we read it and we think, oh, Lord, I I don't want to go through that. And so we say thank you for rescuing us from the curses of the law, that you became our curse on that tree so that we wouldn't have to experience it. And so now as a different nation, a holy people, not a landed people, but a, a unique generation, Lord, we say thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for our new covenant, Lord, with you, that you have remembered our sins and our iniquities no more, forevermore. They are removed from us. We do not have the same covenant as God gave to the nation of Israel. That means the blessings and curses listed out here in Deuteronomy chapter 28 do not pertain to us. But God does give us the blessing of knowing Him and being known by Him as we choose to trust and obey every day. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.